I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're the Sirens. Today we're discussing A Song is Born. In this 1948 film, a group of music professors, including Frisbee, played by Danny Kaye, are writing an encyclopedia of music over the course of almost 10 years. A pair of window washers introduces them to a pioneering musical form called jazz. (laughs) (laughs) Frisbee starts going to nightclubs to hear the new sound and becomes involved with club singer Honey Swanson, played by Virginia Mayo who is running from police because they want her to inform on her gangster boyfriend, Tony Crow. Crow wants to marry Honey, so she can't testify against him, but things become complicated when Frisbee falls in love with her and also proposes to her. Filmed in Technicolor, this movie also features a supporting cast of musical legends, including Tommy Dorsey, Benny Goodman, who plays one of the professors, (laughs) Louis Armstrong, Lionel Hampton, and Benny Carter, among many others. Um, oh, and this was also a remake of Ball of Fire, yes, which came out in 1941 with Barbara Stanwyck. A very like quick remake. Yeah, I I was th- I always think that that just happens now that they keep cycling through the same movies, and I was like, no, people were doing it back then too. Yeah. Well, and have you seen Ball of Fire? Yes, I just pretty recently, like about a year ago, caught it on TV. Yeah, and it's like there. Like the only difference is the like the actors who are in the movie. Yeah, and some of even the actors are the same. Well, that um, I mean, this could bring us into trivia. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Howard Hawks directed both movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg Tolan was the cinematographer for both of them. Uh huh. And Mary Field played the same part of Mrs totten in both movies as well oh, really yeah i didn't actually notice that until i was researching it but yes oh. same actress that's funny so uh, some of the trivia is kind of a downer for this movie so danny Kay's wife sylvia fine was also his personal composer and writer uh-huh. but she refused to take part in any more of his projects because of his affair with actress eve arden Oh no. And Kay didn't want anyone else writing songs for him, so he didn't perform any songs in this movie, which is, it seems like such a waste of talent that he does not sing when this is a musical and mm-hmm. everybody's singing. Well, and it's like a ridiculous musical. It's like made for Danny Kay being ridiculous singing. Exactly. And and the and he's not ridiculous in this, which is I mean, he's slightly so, uh, ridiculous. He's slightly ridiculous. He's yeah. slightly, but not not in the typical yeah. Danny Kay fashion. Yeah. We mentioned that Howard Hawks directed this and Ball of Fire, um, but he actually did not want to make this movie. He only worked on it for the money. And there's a quote from him about it saying, um, Danny Kay had separated from his wife and he was a basket case, stopping work to see a psychiatrist every day. He was about as funny as a crutch. I never thought anything in that picture was funny. It was an altogether horrible experience, and Virginia Mayo's performance was pathetic. She's not Barbara Stanwyck, I'll tell you that. Oh my god! So always the charmer. Um, I actually did think Danny Kaye's performance, like he was very muted in this, and part of it was the role. Mm-hmm. 
and you could and, and in the um the older movie like the role is very it's like a straight man like academic yeah but he just Danny Kay had like no facial expressions in this movie I mean mm-hmm. he seemed sad and I guess he was sad mm-hmm. yeah it was a very morose role yeah and I thought Virginia Mayo was good I mean like Barbara Stanwyck is a standout but I thought that she was good in this role and I enjoyed her performance. Yeah, it's not fair to like compare anybody to Barbara Stanwyck. I know. I mean, it's just a losing battle. <laughs> so when asked to play without music, Professor Magenbrook says, you can't play without music. And the others answer, well, Benny Goodman used to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Maggie Magenbrook then says he's never heard of Benny Goodman when he's in fact played by Benny Goodman. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was funny. I know. <laughs> um, in an interesting parallel to what's going on now with the writers' strike, in 1948, the American Federation of Musicians was striking, and the record companies and union musicians could not legally make records, but the union allowed Capitol Records to make an album of music from this film because the company agreed to donate all of the proceeds to the Damon Runyon Cancer Fund. Which I was still surprised they would do it, even under those circumstances. Yeah. And A Song is Born was the number one film in the country from the time of its release until November 1948, while Hawke's other film, Red River, which he thought was his best, came in second. (laughs) But the movie was so expensive to make that it never broke even and Red River went on to make like 4.1 million dollars so I think I just heard something about one of those like Marvel movies came out I'll just say one of those Marvel movies I'm clearly not like a universe person came out this weekend and they were saying it was the number one movie in the box office but it was never going to recoup the costs of what it made and I was like what are the expectations of these movies now like they're so expensive to make yeah yeah and then unless they completely kill it in the opening weekend they're basically done yeah oh my god um so that's all i had for trivia and who did you bio hell (laughs) um i bioed virginia mayo who we've seen previously in the masters of our lives she was born virginia clara jones in november 1920 in st louis missouri Her father was a newspaper reporter, and her family had roots back to the earliest days of St. Louis. Her aunt operated an acting school in the St. Louis area, which was sort of her in into taking acting lessons from a very young age and dancing lessons through her aunt. Um, After she graduated from high school, she got her first professional acting and dancing jobs at the St. Louis Municipal Opera Theater, and performer Andy Mayo saw her, was impressed with her ability, and recruited her to appear in his act, Morton and Mayo. And Virginia toured the American vaudeville circuit in that in that show um, for three years, serving as the ringmaster and comedic foil for Pansy the Horse. Um, <laughs> yeah. At Mayo and his partner, Donnie Morton, performed in a, in a horse suit. Um, that's how she got her stage name, and in 1941, she got another career break as she appeared on Broadway with Eddie Cantor in Banjo Eyes. 
her talent and striking beauty came to the attention of Samuel Goldwyn in the in you know like it's right around then in the early 1940s and he signed her to an acting contract with his company he, her first notable role was in Jack Lon- London in 1943 which starred her future husband Michael O'Shea and then her very first starring role came in 1944 opposite Bob Hope in The Princess and the Pirate which is a spoof of pirate movies made by Goldwyn mm-hmm. I, I was reading about that and was like, we need to, I feel like we need to watch and do this movie. I was just going to say, I would love to see that. <laughs> yeah. Um, she appeared in a number of movies with Danny Kaye, including this one, but it started with um, Wonder Man in 1945 and The Kid from Brooklyn in 1946, which were both very popular. She very quickly uh, developed the stereotype of you know, playing the like beautiful, like leading ladies, but she went against type um, and accepted the supporting role of an unsympathetic gold digger um, named Marie <laughs> in The Best Years of Our Lives. And then she worked with Danny Kay again in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty in 1947. And then A Song is Born in 1948. And in between those those films, she, um, she went and did some work for Warner Brothers in Smart Girls Don't Talk. And then... Warner Brothers ended up taking over her contract and she appeared in a string of films in 1949 and 1954 like at that point her like acting career just like took off and she was just like the list of movies that she was in in that period was just like ridiculous towards the end of that period in in the mid 1950s she began to appear in fewer films then in the 1960s as well she began moving over into um, stage and television, which is where she um, worked for the rest of her career, mostly in dinner theater, touring shows, and then TV cameos. She, I mean, she continued to work um, a lot during those years. The, the Man Next Door, which was made in 1997, was her very last film role. She was one of the first to be awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, she also got a, a, um, a star in St. Louis, Missouri, and their like walk of of fame. Um, she wed Michael O'Shea in 1947, and they remained married until he died in 1973. They had one daughter, and they lived for decades in Thousand Oaks, California. She um, she was passionate about painting, and she converted to Roman Catholicism. She was a lifelong Republican, endorsed Richard Nixon, longtime friend of Ronald Reagan. Um, and endorsed him in 1980. <laughs> Make of that what you will. She died of pneumonia and complications of congestive heart failure uh, in 2005 at the age of 84. Wow. Well, if you set aside the Reagan Nixon yeah. stuff, she sounds like she had a pretty good life. Yeah. <laughs> also, I feel like she's one of the only actors we've bioed who married another actor and the marriage lasted Mm -hmm. yeah i've i've noted that as well like it was say what you will about her politics she was married for a long time to the same guy i wonder why people don't talk about them the way they talk about like paul newman and maybe because they're older but yeah i did not put it together that that was also her in the best years of our lives no, i didn't either like when i was reading that i was like oh oh yes that that is who that was yes <laughs> which by the way sometimes i need to judge movies in retrospect like what sticks with me what i keep thinking about that movie is one that i have continued to think about a lot 
mm-hmm. after we watched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a good one. Well, so what did you think of this movie? Had you seen it before? Because I know your dad was a big Danny Kay fan. Yeah, I have seen this movie. I can't a number of times and the the earlier version a number of times. And they're both movies that like I always like I don't know. I was like I was having a little bit of a like stressful moment like because I was like, oh no, when am I gonna watch this movie? And then I weekend got busy or whatever. And then I was like, wait a second, why am I stressing out? I get to watch this movie and talk about it with Emily. I love this movie. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like I had to remind myself, like, no, I, I love this movie. And I, I do love this movie. I think it's just like it's just very silly. And for a lot of the reasons that we've already talked about, one of the things that I like about it is that they they have to like go to New Jersey. And <laughs> and like go get married, and the two towns that they mention are towns that are like these two little towns, like our towns that were near where I lived in New Jersey. And so I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly where Rancocus is. <laughs> I know where Houston is. We're like, I may now be passing the inn, yeah, where Danny Kay and Virginia Mayo had their interlude. Yeah. So I like that too. That like I, I feel a little bit of a like personal connection with it. <laughs> well, that's funny. You have much more of a relationship with this film. So I mean this I'd never seen it before. Mm-hmm. I only recently saw Ball of Fire, which I liked a lot. But even though this was a remake I also really liked this version too I think some of it was I just I love the music in it mm-hmm. yeah I mean I had literally by coincidence like earlier in the day that I watched this movie I had bought a book of sheet music called boogie woogie piano because <laughs> <laughs> I was like I want to learn like more you know of more boogie these, woogie piano yeah i need to learn more boogie woogies and, and then on that night they were like what is the boogie woogie like in the movie so that i thought was great but they had like so many good musicians in it i just mm-hmm. i really loved the variety and i thought it was funny i mean like actually i'm not this i don't hate me for saying this like the one part of the movie that i was less wild about was really just danny k because i felt like he was under you like he's so yeah. funny yeah and I don't know if it's because of like what was going on in his personal life or just because of the role or what he was allowed to do. But like, I felt like a, like a lot of his talents were not used at this. Like he didn't sing. Mm -hmm. He, he really didn't have as many of the comedic moments Mm -hmm. as other people. Like he didn't really Mm -hmm. get to do, he had to do like a little bit of physical comedy, but not a lot. He barely made any facial expressions. (laughs) So yes. Under the (laughs) walls. For sure. Yeah, and like I think it has to be convincing. Actually, that that was like my one critique of Ball of Fire too. That I'm just like, you have like an incredibly dynamic woman who is yeah a lounge singer who can hold her own in a room with anyone who's like a total knockout, very talented, and you're supposed to believe that that, that she will fall in love with like this totally staid like academic. It, according to this movie, like barely has left the house in almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a stretch and I felt like yeah. You know, I couldn't tell like I guess the point at she started to like him more at the end, but I was kind of like I don't know, like I don't see these two people together yeah so, yeah I it was a lot i mean this movie was a little bit unbelievable 
but like yes <laughs> as for so many of the movies that we watch we're like wait a second um i did did so one thing i thought was kind of nice in this movie was like that all these men were living together and they were actually like fairly supportive of one another you know i was just gonna ask you about that and (laughs) because i found that refreshing but like they were not there was like no toxic masculinity I mean, there was a little bit of, like, you know, ra- racism at the very beginning. Yeah. In, in a couple of forms. But there was not, I mean, even though there was a house full of, like, seven old guys, old white dudes, it was not. But yeah, they were supportive of each other. Yeah, I thought that was, I, I felt the same way, that it was refreshing and seemed like something that was distinct about this movie. And just seemed like gentlemen, like... You could see that from Honey spending time with them that she was just like not used to people treating her with like respect and genuine interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it reminded me of just hanging out with my grandpa or like just, I, you know, I like spending time with older people and talking with them. Yeah. It seems like like a more gracious, they, you know, they come from a more gracious time. Yeah. <laughs> And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, there is another way of being where it's not like everything was great back in time, but just like sort of manners and consideration, Mm -hmm. I think, are often lost over time. And then to just like experience that could be something really special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like the one time that they like the most nefarious thing that they did was that they like tried to get they like put frisbee front and center whenever Miss Totten came because they could tell that Miss Totten was like smitten with him. So they were like, yeah. Who do you talk? Because like she has a crush on you. Which, like, you know, I mean, that's like not very nefarious because all they wanted was for her to like continue to fund this like music encyclopedia. Like they were just not like they were that <laughs> it wasn't they weren't like taking advantage of her individually. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. If it was today, they'd be like, oh, just sleep with her and get the body. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This was more like, smile at her and get the body. (laughs) And he even had trouble doing that. (laughs) Right, he felt like flustered about that. Right, it was very, like, very respectful. And they were, like, they were so, like, horrified to see Miss Honey, or Honey in her, like, um, tights, or, like, her stockings and her little, like, bloomer pants or whatever in the apron <laughs> we're like oh, horrified <laughs> <laughs> i did think that honey's her first costume was like i mean i feel like it still is like sexy mm-hmm. like to the nth degree like it was it was a two-piece midriff mm-hmm. bearing set mm-hmm. that had cutouts in it and also basically the bottom was just fringe mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's like and i was i could tell like that would someone could wear that now and it would still be considered very daring yeah daring but not like not distasteful yeah it's like sort of yeah. a classic timeless look to it yeah i thought it was really something and i guess i forgot that in ball of fire barbara stanwick has a similar costume <laughs> I guess I didn't remember it as much, but this one I was like, wowza. <laughs> like, no wonder all the professors are like, oh, take my chair. Like, what do you think? Take my chair. Did some of the, like, navel-gazing academic stuff feel true to you? Like, that they were like, let's all live in this house and just talk about music theory and work on this? Yeah. 
book for 10 years that probably no one's going to read, but like not go out into the world and interact with anyone. Yeah. Like, not, not, not until people. Yeah. Yeah. And, that rang true to me. It was like, yes, that is what academia is like. Don't ask any actual people. Just like do like do, be in your book. Sure. <laughs> I thought it was very funny when um, Frisbee was like, I'm going out. And they were all like, out, out, you're going out. And then and when like, he came back, we go with you? Yes. <laughs> and then the next day he was like, I talked to people and they were like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I talked um, to people. But I wanted to go to like every club that he visited yeah. that night. I know when he was like, I went here and here and here. And I was like, how did you, firstly, how did you know to go to those places? And then how did you do that all in one night? I don't know. And he just seemed like he was, because it a lot of it was, I mean, I guess it would all fall under jazz, but like it was different types of music and he was compelled by all of it. Like aficionado. He was just like, oh, this is great. And this is great. And here, take my card. Yeah. Which I, I guess like, I appreciate that. Like, even though he, like, it was all new to him. It was like, he, he was like taking it in with like appreciation, not like judging it he was like oh i have to learn i want to know more about this i want to understand what it is and where it came from and how it's connected to stuff that i already know he was just like like sort of took a very like a surprisingly expansive like worldview yeah that's true i mean i guess despite having not left his house in all that time he did have an intellectual curiosity where he's just like oh something new Mm -hmm. i i'm fascinated i want to know more you know even like at the beginning you know when they do that like like mating dance or whatever oh yeah like even though that was like i was like oh geez (laughs) but like when the two window washers come in and are like hey there's this like this music trivia thing on the radio and we're like we we've gathered that you guys are music people so like can you help us there wasn't like I was surprised that these, they weren't like portrayed in like that the interaction was portrayed in a like relatively respectful manner. Like the old white dudes weren't like, oh, let us be condescending to you. They were like, oh, okay. A music trivia thing. Like we got you. And like, like, yes, they said things that were like totally esoteric, but like they obviously were like totally esoteric to like everybody. And weren't like, oh, here are these like black men who are window white washers and like we're gonna like make make sure that they're depicted as being less than. Yeah, that's yeah, I thought that was interesting too that in some ways I felt like the movie made fun of them, but the professors did not. Mm -hmm. So like from their perspective, they were just like, Oh, like you're you're coming to us with an interesting question like yes we want to talk with you about this mm-hmm. and i i mean i this might come up more when we talk about social justice but this film had probably one of the more diverse casts of mm-hmm. ones we've watched and i mean i guess a lot of that was cuz it was like musicians and particularly focused on jazz mm-hmm. but it's still I was still like you know all these people in the room together and they're all pretty much interacting as equals mm-hmm. and yeah that, and that their, their work is celebrated yeah exactly 
Like there's an equal celebration of Benny Goodman and Louis Armstrong and, you know, others. It's not like, you know, Louis Armstrong is less than Benny Goodman. Which, by the way, have you noticed that there's a through line in the movies we're watching that Louis Armstrong and Benny Goodman are showing up at a disproportionate number of them? I, I, I did notice that. And uh, I guess I'm totally fine with Benny Goodman. Yeah, I'm fine Louis. with that too. It's great. <laughs> that rings true to me. <laughs> So one thing I thought was kind of interesting in this movie was that there actually was some violence in it. Like, mm-hmm. I was surprised when, and maybe, did this happen in Ball of Fire too, that Honey punched out the housekeeper? I was wondering that. I feel like she just, like, locks her in the closet or something. I don't, I can't, I don't remember. Because um, um, that was startling to me. Yeah. <laughs> that she- and I also thought that it was never really addressed in the movie after that. Like, if someone was my long-term housekeeper and, like, the person I was interested in punched them out and it was also, like, an elderly person, yeah, I would have some questions. Yeah, <laughs> And then I thought it was kind of strange at the end when, like, yes. Danny Kay's cat, he's clearly, like, not someone who knows how to fight. And at the end when he just, like jumps on honey's like mobster boyfriend and pummels him and everyone's just like yeah get him get him get him and i was like what like what is happening right now yeah it was like totally it seemed out of character i mean both of those like bits of violence and i guess like this the violence that happens off stage two of tony like the like the reason why she has she's like hiding out and then like has to is like supposed to marry tony is because like tony's like killed a guy and honey's like not really come to terms with that i think or she sort Mm. of at the end comes to terms with the fact that like oh this guy that she's been seeing like kill the guy yeah i that's true and it's it, like later in the movie she does seem to be like i'm really starting to think that you did kill this person mm-hmm. and i don't know if we're supposed to think that her character changes a lot during the film but she's supposed to be like oh she cares a lot about money and she cares a lot about like nice clothes and jewelry and stuff but and and she didn't seem to have qualms about being involved with this mobster guy yeah. Until like, you know, whatever point in the movie when she's like, well, if I have to like take advantage of some old professors, then I, that's where I draw the line. Yeah, but not thinking, you know, like whatever, however he was whining and dining or giving her gifts, that was all money from like mob activities that, that presumably involved killing people. <laughs> so that's, I mean, like she seemed to not initially have scruples and then at a certain point I guess she got activated and was like nope I'm done with this well I mean maybe because she was surrounded by like uh men who were not toxic (laughs) to use a very like present term like Tony's a very like toxic masculinity uh character whereas are like here's a different way of being a man I thought it was so sweet how they were always like hanging out of their pajamas and Mm -hmm. when Frisbee seemed like out of it they were like let's feed him and they were like pouring him coffee and bringing him toast like it was just very nurturing. Yes and then like when he went out on the town all he had was buttermilk which I was like I'm sorry you found a bar that drank and like then sold you milk. Yeah and who drinks buttermilk? Who? <laughs> and why milk? Although, why do you need to drink water? <laughs> <laughs> 
I once had a job, this is because we worked at History Places Hill. I once had a job where they assigned me at the job to recreate Ben Franklin's milk punch recipe. (laughs) And it was the weird, I mean, like, it was weird. For one thing, it was very hard to stop it from curdling. But apparently people used to have a lot of alcoholic beverages that had milk in it, which seems so strange now. What else was in the milk punch? Oh, I mean... I can't, off the top of my head, I don't remember. I remember it's very strong alcohol. I want to say maybe rum. Oh my God. Was it in it? And like eggs? There were like <laughs> eggs in it? Uh, I, I, I don't I'm know. I'm just listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty gross. I did Look, it for science. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. Well, do you think we're ready to talk about the Bechdel test and whether or not this film passes? <laughs> because the only time the housekeeper and Honey interact is, and and Miss Totten, I don't even know Miss Totten really like interacts. Those are the three women, and they don't really. I mean, they the only interaction they have is about frisbee. Yeah, and to punch punch each other. <laughs> yeah, or to be like, uh, you got to cover up. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or I'm not funding your music encyclopedia because you got entangled with this like mobster girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't pass. <laughs> I mean, it does have more female characters than some of the other movies that we watched. But yeah, there's no there's no real. Inter- I mean, actually, the characters sort of embody some like negative tropes about women as yeah. well. So I would say does not pass. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know. Well, on the whole what, this movie is good but there's some negative tropes in it yeah that there are i mean it was funny like i had one of my family members was like going through a rough week and at, when i watched this movie i was like i'm gonna tell her to watch this movie because it will cheer her up like it's yeah. that kind of film mm-hmm. yeah but, i mean not- it is it is that kind of film because even though like there is the like reference to like somebody being killed and like the punching or whatever like on the whole it's like it is a good escape from reality there's like no consequences for any of those things yeah and it was also just amazing that they got all those musicians in the Mm -hmm. same room because even other movies we've watched that feature a lot of famous people like celebrities and like musicians and stuff they each just have their own time on the stage whereas this yeah. movie they were like literally all just sitting in a room together like goofing around so yeah I well and that's that. like partly why this movie was so expensive right yeah because <laughs> louis armstrong's like i'm not sitting in a room with a mobster without like you know <laughs> you've got to pay me that's right i will be paid <laughs> we all want to help one another human beings are like that We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Well, so what did you think about social justice in this film? I know we we talked a little about a little bit about social justice earlier and 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 about like the like toxic masculinity versus like these like gracious men. I mean, and I don't know that there's anything like more than that that I like would note. I mean, I think that there's like something to be said about like the private funding of this like musical encyclopedia and like the way that we fund the arts and like also what is the best use of funding yeah that's true and like who gets the funding like of course these like old white men are getting the funding 
from this like private family foundation from a like a failed pianist yeah that's true I mean there was something about the idea of like there being enough money and they said at one point it was a quarter of a million dollars Mm -hmm. that was left to them and then she gave money on top of that yeah and for it would just seemed like very extreme and cushy like they're they're taking 10 years to write this book they literally had a house to live in with a housekeeper right so like you know in new york city so like bored and yeah (laughs) and it just seemed so ridiculous to me and like said something about academia that it's that that could be like a cushy lifestyle In a way, like it Risby acted like, well, I don't make that much. I only make like this much a year. But if you have a place to live in New York City and someone to like cook for you and you don't even have to leave the house and you just get to sit around and think all day, like to me, that's luxury. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking up in an inflation calculator how much money that money would be. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's three point one five million dollars. Oh my gosh. And and it also made me think about the way the publishing world is now and how like there are no advances. And even if your book is successful, you don't really get paid very much. Like the idea that all these people could like spend that much of their life doing this and being well set up for it. It just, yes, it felt to me like, not that I don't think it's, it's important to do academic work, but like the cushiness of that setup mm-hmm. was well beyond what it needed to be and that money could have been put to better use well and if like he makes and now i'm just gonna find out what the like three 300 a salary of three thousand was that what it was yeah i think it was like 3200 or something like that it isn't a ton according to the internet it would be like the equivalent of forty thousand dollars so that would be like penury in new york city but like but on the other hand like if we assume that like they don't have to pay for housing. They don't have to pay for food. <laughs> get free food and housing. <laughs> and then you get paid $40,000. Yeah, I mean, and, and if he didn't leave the house, how? like he could, all of that money could have just gone, it could have been $40,000 every year into savings. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So he's accumulated $400,000. So I just, I mean, like, imagine if that man had instead, like, endowed some, like, a music program for, like, New York City youth or something like that. Or, like, just given the demanding directly to, like, Louis Armstrong. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Be like, this is for you. Louis Armstrong and Benny Goodman and, like, like, any of the, any combination of the, the musicians that we see yeah instead of funding the people who talk about music fund people who make music <laughs> yeah we said yeah. are like promoters of the arts mm-hmm. yes <laughs> <laughs> i mean we have we have thoughts on these so Welcome to our podcast we have thoughts <laughs> Um, what would you rate this movie? I mean, I'm. I mean, I said at the beginning that I love this movie. I mean, I will like take into account the movie's flaws, chiefly chief among them that Danny Kay is hugely underutilized. So I'm just going to give this movie a four. What rating yeah. would you give this movie, Emily? I would also give it a four. I think based on a combination of my general enjoyment of it mm-hmm. and the musical performances in it, and the large group of lovely older gentlemen (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah I really enjoyed it and I was glad that you picked this one because I probably wouldn't have picked I mean if 
the last, not the last, but two episodes ago, we did a movie that was a musical remake oh, right. of another movie. And yes, High Society. And I hated it. And like this, I really enjoyed. Yeah. So. I was afraid when we were watching this movie. I was like, oh, this could go either way. Like Emily will either really love this movie or really hate it. And I loved it. <laughs> so- <laughs> So I would I would definitely watch this again. I also kind of want to go back and watch Ball of Fire again. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can like both. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's our next movie, Hillary? Okay, so speaking of movies I love, we're doing Indiscreet next. Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. The classics. The classics. <laughs> <laughs> May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. Leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. And become a patron at patreon.com slash The Screen Sirens. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.